Hey there, my name is Mike Joseph. I host and produce Detoxicity, which is the podcast that you were just about to listen to. I hope that you have been listening and enjoying uh, for the entire time that we've been doing this. If you are new, welcome. If you are a listener of Longstanding, welcome again and thank you. Um, I appreciate the fact that you listen to this podcast. If you listen and enjoy, please feel free to leave a comment. Please feel free to rate on iTunes or any other podcast platforms that have the ability to rate. And please subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Also, I would love it. It's not a requirement, but I would love it if you followed me on social media. I am on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph, that is T-I-S-M-I-K-E-J-O-S-E-P-H, and I'm on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. I don't need to spell that out for anybody. I'm also on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, but you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. And if you would like to be on the show or you know somebody who'd be a good fit for an interview on the show, feel free to reach out to me via either of those two platforms, or you can drop me an old-fashioned email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Once again, that is detoxpod at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it, and I hope you enjoy. As some of you know, I occasionally co-host a podcast called Life on the Swing Set, which is about progressive sexuality and alternative relationships. Several of the podcast regulars, including Dylan Thomas and Ryan Bentham, have appeared on Detoxicity multiple times. Each year, the Life on the Swing Set crew ventures down to Mexico to spend a week in paradise at the Desire Resort. The Swing Set Takeover is an inclusive environment in which sex positivity is encouraged, but also where intellectual, emotional, and sexual curiosity is explored, and growth in all of these facets can happen. When I was invited to take part in this year's festivities, I knew that I'd get a lot of food for thought when it came to masculinity. This episode of Detoxicity, which was recorded on the resort, does not disappoint at all. The episode is co-hosted by Dylan Thomas. It was recorded live at Desire and features several voices outside of the two of us. For the sake of discretion, for obvious reasons, the men that participate will not be named. But during this discussion, names are tertiary to the greater conversation about manhood and personal growth and how this week led to further discussions about everything from racism and ethnic stereotypes to the undoing of decades of conditioning regarding relationship structures and sexuality and maleness. And we collectively try to figure out how to bring the spirit of curiosity, inclusion, and knowledge that's been fostered during this week into our regular lives. So, let's all take a trip in our minds to sunny Cancun, where this episode was recorded. I hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed chatting. Hello, welcome Welcome to the Detoxicity Live podcast. First time here in Cancun. Let me hand you over to your host, Mike. Thank you, Dylan. Wow, this does sound good. I feel like I should carry this just around the resort with me all the time with the sound like this. All right, well, I feel like we should get started. Yeah, so this is a first. I, uh, I'm Mike Joseph, and I'm doing the Detoxicity Podcast live uh, from the Swing Set Takes Desire in uh, lovely Mexico. And uh, this is a podcast where... I speak to people and explore their feelings around masculinity, and that takes many forms. Uh, I feel like this is a very unique place to have a conversation in. Uh, Desire is a couple's resort. Uh, it is um, clothing optional. It is swinger friendly. And, and the swing set takes Desire is also poly-friendly, 
and queer friendly. Uh, so those are a lot of things that sort of tie into uh, the conversations that I like to have here. And I've got Dylan Thomas here. Dylan is one of the founders of Life on the Swing Set, uh, the podcast, co-arranged this excursion, which is now in its ninth or concluding its ninth year. Uh, and you are also a detoxicity veteran. This will be your third or fourth time uh, talking to me. I'm curious why you started this and what you envisioned this as and what you, where you envision it going. Well, this whole trip started because the, the little podcast I do, you know, being a swinger podcast and a sea of other swinging podcasts that were doing trips and takeovers and cruises and all that, Sounded like a good idea at the time to, to just kind of have a good time. And we were still kind of finding our way as a podcast, but we actually had somebody reach out and say, hey, would you be interested in putting a trip together? And we said yes, and we started thinking about what we wanted it to feel like. But we also hadn't been here as trip hosts. So we came, and we found that it really did live up to what you think of when you think of a, a couples resort. Uh, you get together, you come as couples, you meet other couples, and then you do things as couples, and then that's it. And we found that it was, it was nice, but it, it was a very rigid interpretation of what uh, sluttery looks like in the rest of the world and as we had been practicing it, because like I personally and Cooper had been hosting, and Ginger for many years had been hosting play parties uh, house parties involving lots of different people and it could go couple on couple but it usually ended up with couples just kind of mingling and doing their own thing so we started to think about how to make that kind of thing happen here because the venue is awesome and the staff is awesome and through continuing to raise the number of people that we brought here until it was a full takeover we found the more people that we brought the more freedom that we had not just in like what we could ask the resort to do but what we could do and what we could explore. And I think Cooper engaged in the man-on-man -man kiss heard around the world, you know, shot across the, the, the swinger ecosystem there. I was like, no, these things don't happen at resorts. And then I think from that point it turned from a, this is a really cool thing that we can do for a lot of fun into, hey, this is actually a, a thing that we can build a relationship on and make some real changes and kind of expand what it really can mean to come to a resort with a bunch of like-minded people and, and be who you want to be. So we started intentionally thinking about changing the combinations of people that could come, whether it be you know, the, the typical couple gender balanced or just two people to, to allow you know, triads and other configurations of people to come. And, and through a, you know, a nine-year working relationship with the resort, we've come to the point where we can, with no qualifications, call this a, a polyam-friendly, queer-friendly takeover and expand that little paradise that we've all been wishing for our whole lives into something that exists here for a week and hopefully exists when we can bring it home. And I'm sure that everybody here appreciates the fact that, whoa, <laughs> that uh, you and Cooper have, have created this environment. I'm really curious if 15 or 20 years ago, someone had said, hey, you, you're going to be at a clothing optional resort in Mexico, uh, polyam friendly, queer friendly, whatever. 
I guess my question is, did anyone see themselves in a situation like this before the situation presented itself? Uh, or is this something that you evolved into or that only really became apparent to you after taking the step of, of making this trip or even conceptualizing this? Yeah, so 15 years ago, I would have been like 25, somewhere in there. Might be being generous, but no, ab absolutely, absolutely not. I would have been, first of all, completely ignorant to um, half of the terms that you just used, for sure. Those just didn't exist in my world, and how I feel now compared to then. I was definitely really, really heavily indoctrinated into performing what I thought was supposed to be the behaviors that were required of me in society, right? So. I would act out things like jealousy and stuff, like feelings that I just didn't feel in any kind of real or meaningful way because I had fears of how people would perceive me if I didn't do those things, right? And I've always enjoyed being in queer spaces as a theater kid, but um, I had, you know, I had a lot of fears surrounding a lot of that as well that I look back on from today's perspective and I just think, how many avenues did I just not take until I eventually you know, went to therapy and started working some of this stuff out. How many lost opportunities for connection and deeper friendships and everything, you know, that I feel comes with this space, right? 15 years ago, absolutely not. I would have been defensive as hell about everything, right? Hi. I have not planned any of this, and I feel that's like the spirit of this resort is you come here and cool things happen. And 15 years ago, I wasn't even married. And I feel like I found my people. And that's the great thing about this place and these people and Dylan and Cooper making this space for us. I call this the Cheerio theory. If you get a bowl of Cheerios, you'll notice they all tend to clump up together. Why is that? Do they have a fifth force of the universe that is the Cheerio force? No. It's the milk pressuring all the sides of the Cheerios. And that's how I feel like when I'm outside of this space in the real world. I'm always guarded and defensive and the rest of the world pushes me towards my friends, pushes me towards those other people who are not accepted by their surroundings. But when I'm here, that pressure is gone. And I th think Dylan and Cooper and Ginger and all those people for making a place where I don't feel like I have to brace. I don't feel like someone's gonna jostle me and make me feel some pain for being different. I think that's what's special about this. And it wasn't planned, it wasn't directed. I would have never found it except for our Cheerios force. We've been, we've been mashed and mashed and mashed into a clump and now I've found a bigger <laughs> clump of these people and it's great. 
Yeah. <laughs> and now we can cling together for real as family rather than just being forced to because we're not quite accepted by all the rest of society. Thank you for that. Jumping off of that and your question about how we thought of this, I don't think I had any, any larger ambitions for like redefining or even adjusting what it felt to be a man coming here with a woman that was going to play with other people. Ginger was actually the first person to suggest to me, hey, you know, there is a lot of room for me personally to educate myself on like what my role can be when navigating around other people and and how to show that to other people. Ginger's way more insightful than I was back then and still now. But if there was a grand plan, and, and there is an intention to tell men specifically when they come here, hey, you can let go of a lot of that stuff and just be. And sometimes it results in really hot man-on-man, meat-on-meat kisses in the middle of a pool. And sometimes it just results in men being able to hug each other and scritch each other's hair and it'd be totally cool. And I still, to this date, very rarely get to like be close in an intimate way, in a platonic intimate way with other men. And doing this and putting this together and kind of practicing that here has allowed me to like be close to my, my dude friends and have it not be weird. And it's a lot of thanks to a lot of people here that have shown me that, to you know Ginger that set me on that path and to like this whole place that somehow allowed that thing to kind of happen. And I love sharing it with people. That actually brings me to two things uh, that pop up in my head. One is, this is my first time in an environment like this. And the vibe that I get from non-swing set happenings at places like this is that it's more of a hookup type situation where people are just kind of eyeing each other and, you know, things happen from there. Whereas this appears to be more of a thing where people aren't just eyeing one another with the uh, focus of having a quick hookup or maybe a not quick hookup, I don't know. But there is more of a bonding and more of a familial kind of atmosphere at this place. And again, I have no frame of reference for anything else that happens on this resort at any, you know, the other 51 weeks of the year. But this does feel like this, this is beyond sex. You know, this is beyond swinging. This is beyond poly. This is, well, this is about relationships more than it's about physicality. We talked about inclusivity yesterday uh, during our, our check-in. And it, even like looking around this room, uh, the body types, the ethnicities, the uh, spectrum of, of sexuality, like it's, it's all non-monochromatic uh, at this place. And not to say it's where it needs to be yet. Uh, you know, my utopia is uh, very, very diverse, but it's also great to not feel singled out or feel like an alien in a group like this, which even back home, you know, in, in my poly community back in New York City, sometimes feel like a square peg in a round hole. Now, on, on the masculinity piece, uh, I have sort of noticed that the hard, rigid rules of, of masculinity appear to have fallen by the wayside this week. And, you know, there's a lot of affection, uh, 
you know, I've heard that there were a couple of hot makeout sessions, but even beyond the attraction type stuff, I've just felt warmth, like a very uh, um, intimate, like you said, platonic uh, feeling of, of, of warmth and of care and of love. I feel like even as someone who is on the gay side of queer, 10 years ago or five years ago, maybe even that would have like weirded me out a little bit. Uh, I'm curious if this experience has changed anyone's perceptions regarding, uh, you know, platonic intimacy or sexual intimacy uh, with, with other men. Um, you know, I know there are, well, you're straight. I, I'm presuming there's probably one other person here who identifies as completely straight. But we, we're covering the whole spectrum of sexuality from being a dilettante to being, you know, someone who is fully invested in queerness. Um, I'm just curious if anyone has any thoughts on what this trip or this experience has done in terms of their feelings regarding intimacy towards other men, whether it be, be platonic or not platonic. Uh, so my experience has really been that this whole event has given me a space to explore bisexuality. It, like you said, not only the platonic intimacy, but feeling free to embrace all aspects of my side, because I myself am, have always more identified towards the straight end of the spectrum, and through the last couple of years have been doing a lot of work around poly and just the way I do relationships. And as I'm pulling that thread, more and more keeps on coming to show me the, who I am as true me rather than what society has sewed me up into. And this environment really allowed me to just be me without any pretense and even the family aspect of everything just made me feel comfortable to explore friendships with other men and also not view them in a competitive light, whether in a platonic or even a romantic perspective, and then to just let things be what they will with people and let, let things grow organically, sexually, in, friend, in a friendship way. So, yeah. I'm feeling a, a bit of a connection to your statement there because it's, um, <laughs> speaking of that old sort of training being up, even when I show up and I start like selecting beads and not relaxed yet, I'll look at the beads and I'm like, okay, do it. I'm, I'm worried about giving people the wrong idea because I do, I've got a whole lifetime of um, being in the straight end of the spectrum. Though coming here the last time in 2019, it, it, it felt like it gave me like real space to drop some of that guard and think about where I am actually on that spectrum because I've got a series of life experiences that you know, I, I sort of push myself away from that I've often thought about later, thinking what would I have done in an environment where I didn't feel like I was gonna get like my ass kicked, right? And that's a huge fear barrier and you know, survival thing that um, because I'm more like a one or two, I think on the Kinsey scale, haven't figured that out completely yet. The uh, using that scale as a model, <laughs> for those who know it, I haven't had such an overwhelming drive 
to uh, be intimate with other men beyond like a strong desire to make out that allowed me to feel like I, I, I would just bravely punch through that wall and get out to the other side. And then I come to a space like this and I feel some of those weights start to drop off. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm able to actually invest in, in ans you know, asking and answering those questions deep within. So 2019 we left and went somewhere and I tried an experience and the, 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 the guy was a really bad kisser and that was just kind of, <laughs> but kind of going back to that 15 year question, it's something that I, I would have politely said, no, thank you. Instead of having come from here and said, sure, why not? You know, I'm, I'm still fresh from this experience. So it is, it's that kind of space where you, you don't feel like you're going to, nobody's going to beat you up. Right, <laughs> or, or pick on you, <laughs> right? A lot of embracing, you know, when, you know, I just learned yesterday, the more vulnerable you get, the more people hug you, right? <laughs> I'm curious, Dylan, how does this all manifest when we're off the resort? When you're back in your quote unquote real life, what lessons do you take from this experience and then try to model to others and try to retain for yourself as, as part of the uh, desire experience? I've found ways, maybe through a little bit of trial and error, but if the goal is to learn how to express love and feelings to other people and not have it be weird, I think I've found a lot of language that has allowed me to do that without it being weird. Like there's the whole bro, like I love you, man, I love you, man thing, right? But being able to tell someone else like, you know, I loved this, this is great, thank you, and really mean it with uh, little extra inflection and body language, and maybe just a little bit longer of a hug that, again, won't, won't scare people away that aren't used to it, but at least indicate some sort of real genuine, this was great, I wasn't just like wasting time uh, with you, spending time with you just to spend time. It was something legitimate, learning how to convey honest and deeper emotion to people that don't really receive that on a regular basis has both been really nice because I like that to come across and it's surprised people and resulted in deeper relationships or more familiar relationships that it might have otherwise resulted in. I can't claim that it's like changed the world or anybody's life in, in general, but it definitely has made my little network of friends or coworkers or other people that I actually legitimately like. You know, I've gotten to let them know how I feel and they've opened up a little bit as a result. So. Uh, I, I have a... Sort of a, a, another part to that question. We talked about vulnerability and how does it feel to express that sentiment, again, outside the resort? How does it feel to put yourself out there and not know what the response is gonna be from, from the other person or the other people? Because uh, for me, like rejection is still something that's kind of scary and, and maybe not having my intentions understood is, is super frightening. And I'm trying to get over that, uh, but it, it, it is scary to put yourself out there in an honest way. And to me, for as long as I've known you, you seem like a very no bullshit, take me or leave me kind of person. So I, I'm just curious how you are able to be so intentional uh, and you don't seem to have a lot of uh, fear with regards to putting those emotions out there. 
Well, I got a couple advantages. Uh, first of all, I'm a big dude, and uh, and I come across as I mean, I, I got got a nice hot wife, and I come across a straight guy, a kid, and like like I, I I look like just a normal dude on the outside, so I don't have any obvious thing that might clue somebody off to me being a little bit different. So I don't want to call it an advantage, but I do come in with that. And so if anything, maybe those interactions with the people that I like and that have liked liked it back, liked me expressing that you know genuine affection for them, it's just been a little bit more freedom for them to do the same. Now, when I've been out in just kind of other spaces and expressing stuff, like I've definitely come across the the confrontation and the no, nothing as extreme as like you know yo that's gay or something like that but definitely when talking about honestly gay issues or women and i'll express an opinion that's real shit like why do you think that works in the real world or why do you think that gets you anywhere i've gotten challenged pretty strongly but i've also developed accidentally a bit of a quiet confidence so i can alpha up and I can build myself up if I have to be, because I, I definitely have that energy inside me. But I, I like to lean back a little bit when somebody's coming at me and exude a bit of, I don't care that you're so upset and it's funny to me. And I found that through a lot of interactions, just through meeting other genuine people. It, it's allowed me to interface with people that way and advocate for uh, a lot of other people that don't have that yet or have a chip on their shoulder because that chip informs a lot of the interactions and keeps them protected, keeps them safe. So I get to be less safe using podcast air quotes because I find it funny and I can make their minds hurt back as opposed to anything physical because it's always a physical confrontation, right? Nobody's going to come and try to make me feel bad about who I am because that doesn't work. And it's pretty clear with quiet confidence it doesn't work. But somebody come up to me and being ready to kick my ass... That's funny. That only works if the other person rises, because then it's just like one punch. It's like, are you going to punch me again? And I'm just still standing there. It's like, no. D why? That was funny. Dude, again. It's because, like, again, like I'm a big dude and I can kind of yeah, take I mean, that. You're, so you're a physically imposing guy. I don't see anybody trying to flex on you and, and them standing after that happens. Yeah, it, it comes with a lot of advantages. So that, that's how I navigate it. Yeah, so how I navigate outside of the space is compartmentalization. I have my people I feel safe with. I can be vulnerable with them. And then I have another personality for the rest of the world. And unlike Dylan, not quite as buff and scary looking, but I have humor <laughs> and I have some brains. And there's that aspect of toxic masculinity where we want to compete, where we want to challenge. And sometimes people challenge me intellectually. And that's when I can take the gloves off. But I've had to check myself because if you're bigger and stronger than someone else and you're beating the crap out of them, if you're much smarter than someone else, and you're giving them a rhetorical whiplashing. It's kind of cruel. So it, having these two aspects of with my peeps, I can trust them. But outside, I'm a different person. And that comes from a position of trust. In the outside toxic masculinity world, 
what happens is even among a close peer group, you're bullied, you're bracing, you're never quite trusting of your friends because they'll play a prank on you just because. Like, hey, can you, you know, dudes, you go to a bar, they're gonna take some chicks home, they'll pick you up later, they won't come. Just shit like that all the time. Just, haha, for no reason at all, other than they can, maybe it like, proves out their social hierarchy or something like that. Like, I can do this to this guy. He's weak and funny looking. He can't do nothing about it. So I never gained, never put my trust in people. And that's only reserved for the other me with the people who I know won't do that. And I won't do that with them. But this gets me in these funny situations where if someone picks on some people in my group, I will go all windmill on them because <laughs> it just pisses me off. So is that a good way to navigate it? I don't know, but the world is what it is and I have to have an interface with, with that world. I prefer not to be that way and I'm cutting it back, but to some degree it's necessary to push back against the forces of the rest of the world on both me and the people I care about. Tie into this that I've had something of a little bit different of experiences from being here on the past three trips and that being here has, has taught me two sides of, of this in that I can be more open and be more vulnerable and sharing in the outside world after we've all left here. But also at the same time, I've learned to take rejection or pushback against maybe that person's not receptive to me trying to get them to open up or me sharing and opening up. And so it really has been a, a transformative experience into how I've dealt with all persons, whether it's work or friends or casual meetups at a bar and I've sort of embraced that as you know be be the change that you want to see in the world when you walk away from this place and it's been very very transformative and anybody hopefully listening to this podcast will really deeply consider coming here and with expectations maybe only of being open-minded and receptive to whatever may come, but also knowing how to protect yourself and your own boundaries. Maybe not take down your walls, but put some windows into them so that you can see things from other people's perspectives as well. For me, when I reflect on what's different here versus at home, there's a physicality that the listeners at home might not realize with this community, that we're all wearing name tags. And we mentioned the beads before, that if you really think about it, there's a really close connection between your identity and your sexuality here that you wear on yourself the entire time here. I've heard people say that they feel naked if they forget their, their name tags, which is hilarious at a nudist resort. And that's something that we don't have. For those of us who are publicly out at home, at our home communities, the coming out process is a long-going, repetitive 
decision you make almost on a daily basis of, as you're entering and exiting circles, remembering who you're out with, who is safe, who isn't, what communities are accepting, what are not. And there is that physicality here is, like it was said, that brave first step as you've Some people have just moments ago walked off an airplane and are entering into this space. And one of the first decisions they make when they enter this space is, what is my identity here? How am I presenting myself, who I am, my sexuality, what I am seeking, and what I am available to? And I think that is just... a an unexpected, powerful experience that has has allowed a lot of us masculine presenting folks to really, really sit with that question. And as you engage with other folks, as you introduce, as you talk, as you learn, it can all come back to that, is this who I am? Is this who I want to be? And is this how people see myself? And, and yeah, it's just taking that away. I, I know for myself personally, it, it allowed me to Open, open the doors, as it were, as I navigate the general spaces at home. I start in communities that are a little more intentional about who I am, who, who I want to surround with, and just having a space to allow people to remove those, that armor that we put on ourselves as we just navigate the world. That really resonates with me around being able to make that conscious decision of who you are and put it literally on, around your neck and say, this is who I am. And this trip has taught me a, a very valuable lesson that I'm going to take into the, the real world is, yes, you have to be careful with who you're safe and you're vulnerable with. But it taught me that being vulnerable is a beautiful thing and even being told no while you're being vulnerable and being open to being rejected to and thanking them for that rejection for their honesty it shows me almost you know not to be kind of corny but a path to a better world for for everyone for men for for everyone really and i'm going to bring that energy consciously into my life where the people that are my people, that I trust, that I love. I'm just going to be vulnerable with them and also thank them for that vulnerability and welcome that into my life so that they feel that they can be open and honest about all aspects of their life. So I had a potentially interesting or maybe not so interesting side thought, but I'll share it nevertheless. You know, I, I just turned 40 this year. And, and thank you for the clefts. Yeah, I, 40 feels fucking great. Like, I love it. But I start, I, I found non-monogamy when I was like 26, 27. And I found not, not being afraid of, of the gays when I was like 20, right? So I'm still not terribly removed from a lot of old programming that I've luckily worked really hard to understand where it came from and, and set aside and all that stuff. But as I've gotten older, I've found a more quiet confidence that, that does present itself. But some of the friends that left me behind like 10 years ago, I've come back and seen a couple that have become like, specifically my guy friends, like wonderful fathers, wonderful family men, and that are doing well for themselves. And I've also seen a lot of the old friends that left me behind as getting 
just being angry by default, like still being able to have some sort of healthy relationship with their family and with other people. But the default is, is anger. And so as I've been working on myself and seeing a lot of other people working on ourselves, I see one group of people getting better and more comfortable and more open and vulnerable and another group of people getting just a little bit angrier all the time and a little more jaded all the time. And it makes it harder for me to look at those people that left me behind a while ago. Even though I'm over that part a long time. I was weird. When I became a swinger, I was weird, all right? So like I, I definitely lost a little balance there. But I, I don't want to be friends with them because they've got a lot of just negative energy pouring off of them all the time. And so kindness is at minimum free for me. Uh, and I can understand where their shit's coming from. Uh, but also, I don't want to surround myself with it. And so I don't want to leave all of these otherwise potentially well-meaning or good men behind, but I don't always know how to not leave them behind. If that makes any sense at all. It makes perfect sense. That's a tricky one for me personally. I don't like having bad energy around me. So if you're the type of person that's super dramatic or super problematic, I have no problem. I probably do it too easily. I've been told this actually, so that's a thing. I, I, I tend to cut people off. Um, there's always a way back if, you know, I made a mistake or there's some improvement wherever. But uh, you can't save everybody and life is short and I want to go with the people that are, are going to help me grow and hopefully the people that I leave behind will catch up and if they don't, that's on them. Um, but that is a, a difficult thing to navigate, knowing people, and everybody's journey is different, and potentially leaving some people behind on your journey. Um, and the anger piece is big. It feels like these days, especially, um, people are pissed off for a variety of reasons and no reason at all. I mean, we're two years into a, a worldwide pandemic. Um, you know, 2016 is still fresh in a lot of people's minds. Uh, there's so much stuff happening right now. Um, and I don't want to be Pollyanna-ish about any of this shit at all. It's a fucked up time. I guess this is a two-part question if anybody wants to answer. One, how do you keep your own peace? And two, how do you or do you try to save people that you care about that may be getting sucked into the dark side? That's actually like a couple of things I sort of wonder about with other people. So I'd, I'd be interested to learn more from other people who grew up masculine in a masculine sort of paradigm. I do find that I have to watch myself because at some point I developed a bunch of like survival stuff, right? I'm not going to go into it, but too, too much, but I, I had a really, really horrible upbringing, right? So, um, Really early on, one of the things that I did sort of automatically was just cut relationships off, right? That was my, one of my first survival skill was to just sort of check out. And then the other thing, of course, was this sort of pervasive anger me mechanism where I would sometimes find myself in situations where it really felt like I should have a different kind of emotion going on, but anger is like the default, right? Um, and uh, so... The thing about nav navigating the anger, the only thing that I've been able to do is uh, first make sure that I've eaten something. 
Um, <laughs> that's, I've, learned, I've learned that. <laughs> Make sure I've got something, um, something feeding my brain so I can actually think through the process a little bit. But also, um, the, the, the biggest, uh, most helpful thing, really, honestly, has just been therapy. It took me forever to admit that I needed to talk to somebody. And I found a really good therapist and um, worked a lot of things out, like PTSD and stuff. And um, communication, um, like this non-monogamous environment, has taught me um, so much about actually communicating with people because you have to communicate everything in order for it to function. And um, that has brought the thermostat down consistently so much in such a meaningful way, right? So that's been a, probably one of the biggest lessons I've, I've learned. Even before getting started, I read all the books and it was just 350 pages over and over again, communicate. You know, it was really, really the most effective thing. On the question of navigating people out, I, I, I teach, right? And one of the things I'm on the lookout for are like future incels. They're writing papers, they're turning stuff in, and um, I moved up here to the United States. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I picked up on pretty quickly because of the kinds of conversations people would have with me is um, they, uh, I, uh, white dudes will share their shit with me. And um, it's frequently pretty dark. And um, the thing I've been able to do is if I detect some way in, and this happens with some of my students who are younger, what I can do is I can take advantage of that because they're, they're going to talk to me about stuff that they're not going to talk about um, in front of anyone that they think is not part of their group. And um, what I'll do is I'll walk them through th these, these sorts of thoughts and feelings they're having and um, try to get them to a different space, which is weirdly, frequently, um, you need some feminism in your life because the things you're angry about are the things that we're talking about right now. It's weird what they're blaming this on, but I've had these conversations where these young men I'm talking to um, blame feminism for the fact that they're not allowed to have feelings. I'm like, you need to, you need to actually encounter some of these ideas um, because it's the opposite, my dude, right? <laughs> like, there are all these things that you think you're experiencing that all these people you're hostile towards are actually trying to resolve in a real way. And that's, that's where I think that work actually kind of happens. But I still have that old survival skill. If it's somebody that's close to me in some way that I can't reach, right, then the only thing I can do is protect myself from them, drop the gate and say, I hope you do well. Get, get in touch when you're not toxic. I think that's, that's the moving away from anger for, through communication and trying to take advantage of whoever you're encountering in your life, anybody who will give you access to them in, in order to try to mentor them through this ugly thing that you probably don't want to hear about necessarily as, as long as you can see that it's there. Always be taking advantage of that connection as much as possible. So. Obviously, I think a lot of people need feminism in their lives, but they blame it. And it kind of raised thoughts about gendered expressions. And by that, I mean how people should express emotions, 
men should only express their emotions in a certain narrow band and anything outside of that is just unhealthy or considered taboo. And I, I grew up very influenced by my mother and my sister and had a very strong feminine presence in my life. And so always kind of had a strong connection to that, the feminine side of myself, so much so that I didn't really know how to relate to a lot of guys right off the bat, because I'd be like, you know, yeah, sports is cool and stuff like that, but it's sometimes hard for me to be in super bro-y environments. And just kind of taking that back to your question of how you, you deal with that anger, I still dealt with that deprogramming of myself, trying to figure out how do I express anger? How do I deal with it? How do I manage it? And oftentimes, again, that stereotypical man speak of just bear it. I have this tendency to just sit and stare into the existential abyss. And all right, the world is horrible. This country is falling apart or whatever. And who knows what's next? In a ways, it's been very difficult to do that, but it's also given me a lot of ways to reflect that it's almost a form of emotional masochism to whip myself and say, hey, why aren't you more capable? Why aren't you more whatnot? And that itself bred anger. So ultimately it came down to this acceptance of myself. And like I was saying earlier, as I was pulling at this thread of this, these programming I've, I've had through society and family and just everything through my life. The tapestry that is me kind of came unfurled and I, I started saying, okay, well, it's okay for me to be angry. It's okay to, me be, to be scared. Also, Star Wars reference, you know, fear leads to the dark side. And often I, I find that a lot of people's responses, including mine, come from a place of fear. And once I came to acceptance with that, and I said, it's okay for me to be vulnerable. It's okay for me to deal with that anger in, I guess, traditionally what would people consider a feminine energy, talking uh, it out, feeling vulnerable, and being there with my community. And also, same thing with the, the dark side is those friends that you care about, teach them that it's okay to be afraid. Have, be vulnerable with them and let them know that you're there for them. And that ultimately, yeah, there is gonna be a cutoff line because when you start doing force lightning at your friends, it's not, never a good time. But just try to teach them that there's a way away from fear. I got, oh, you... So these two questions sort of merge into one for me because of my compartmentalization of having two aspects. Because there's this war going on or trying to achieve two separate goals. We're trying to cross this chasm between left and right. We're trying to get people from one side to the other. How do we do that? But at the same time, there's this constant battle going on in the center of the bridge and I'm a good fighter. I want to fight there and crush people. That's my masculinity. And I'm good at it. But at the same time, I'm smarter than that, goddammit. There are people on the other side. And they're not the ones at the center of the bridge. They're all the way on the other side, but they can see what's going on. They see the battle. And they see what I'm doing in the, in the middle. 
right? And they say, do I want to be on that side? No. But at the same time, if I get up on the bridge, I'm not fighting, and I turn my back on them, that's not welcoming either. They're not going to dare step on that bridge knowing all there is is battle. That's not what they want. So what's the answer? We have to be kind. We have to be welcoming. Just as it is performative to fight and be in a battle, it needs to be performative to be kind, to be the side that is welcoming. That's how we get more people onto the side that's not anger, that's not fighting, that's not about my inherent feeling of this is how I express my masculinity. I compete and I crush you because that's the ultimate I win, you have no say now, right? How do we get away from that? And to the personal, I have a friend from high school and I've long watched him slide into anger and just deep into men's rights activism and alt-right stuff. And I know he's too far gone. And it saddens me because he's bright, he's logical, but that doesn't work anymore. So what can I do personally? I can't fight. It's not going to work. I can't fight him on this. So what's my strategy here? I've soft ghosted him. When he says those things which are blatantly wrong, like the aforementioned, feminism is the cause of all of his troubles. Women are the cause of all of his troubles. These kinds of things I can't counter because they're irrational. You can't rationalize someone out of their own irrational arguments. I think we see that more and more now. So what do you do when someone has been irrationalized? I soft ghost all of those things. So if it's nearing any sort of political thing, I try to gently brush away the center of the conversation, go back to jokes or other non-controversial things, which is really hard because even if you start talking about sports, you might suddenly get into football and now football is controversial too for politics, right? As it was four years ago. So now there's fewer and fewer things that you can actually talk about in a neutral way. So even soft ghosting someone can be difficult. So it takes energy to do that, but you remain kind. And for me at least, it doesn't draw me into that anger of, that is so wrong, let me tell you all the ways. I can't, I have to check myself because no one else is going to. So that's how I navigate all of that. I was gonna say, it also preserves yourself because it 
keeps you from getting sucked into that level of anger oh, yeah. on your own. It, it hurts me. My friend hurts me. It hurts when he's going on those things because I see how damaged he is and I want to help him. And it's painful to see that. And I know it's just getting worse. It's like watching a cancer devour a person from the mind in and there's nothing you can do about it. And that really hurts me because he's a great friend for a long time. A lot of what you're saying just like connected with some thoughts to me and having some experience in martial arts in the past, it, a bunch of random thoughts in the train. The anger that exists within our society has led to so much violence and almost a fetishization of violence within our societies and people thinking that that represents the ultimate pinnacle of masculinity. And you know, whenever you've been in a fight, whether it's sport or real, the point is evade. You should run from a fight. You should avoid it at all costs because at the end of the day, causing the ultimate harm to any individual shouldn't be that. So emotionally or physically, I think that what you're saying is that soft ghosting is just the redirection of energy and moving people away from you. And that ultimately, if you need to fight, it should be at the last resort, that last moment of self-defense where you're like, no, get out of my life forever because you, you're not welcome here. And I think that, that metaphor is really powerful and moving people. And, and I think as men, I think a really powerful thing would be to do is remove that fetishization of the violence and make people understand the impact of that violence emotionally or physically. Yes. And I say yes because I'm absorbing what you just said too. Because... First of all, not, not everybody can take that. And like soft ghosting or cutting off, I, I s super support people doing that when they need to protect themselves. But I also know that there still need to be a group of people that, that do have the energy, that do have the position in life, that do have the advantages, whether physical or, or otherwise, of being, or, or mental, energetic, of being able to kind of take and move with those blows and evade those blows. Because like... There's, you're going to have to follow me for about 30 seconds. So give me 30 seconds of a, of a leash here. But you know how when you think of like break shit activism, it's largely women led. And so a lot of the, the voices out there that are really loudly protesting for prison abolition and for police defunding and, and a lot of other stuff are the loud, shrill women's voices. And it's real easy to stereotype their voices that way. Because, well, if you're coming from the perspective of somebody who's already devaluing women as having a valid opinion, then you can just focus on, oh, well, yeah, if it wasn't her saying it, maybe I'd be able to listen. But you know what? I can just shrug all that off. And also, it hurts my ears and all that shit. Now, I've heard all of those things before. And I think there's room for both the, the men and the masculine people that have the space to stand up and yell right by their sides, right, and, and be as loud, and at the same time, be those, like, break shit activism people, so that way, it's not all stereotype as, oh, the, the, the shrill left that just screams about everything and hates everything, and at the same time, having the people that can go reach out. If I were to characterize how I like to be an activist, it is a softer activism, it is a caring activism, because I do have all the advantages that I talked about before. I, I've told you locker room stories of having talks with bros and 
being able to steer them in very you know interesting and more vulnerable ways when we're all sitting naked in a steam room or something and and been in workspaces but yet i'm in a workspace now where i have to do a lot of emotional labor just to survive and i don't have the space for that uh so whether it's situationally or something else i i do think that yeah compassion and kindness have to be there for the people that are ready for that but then also i want to be ready for the times when at the last resort it's like there's no compromising here somebody that wants to deny existence you have to kind of go at it head on and it sucks but if i have to gin up my masculine energy to do it you know goddamn it i'm going to be the the most alpha masculine dude i can be and and whatever i got to do so thanks for giving me a few seconds to temporarily characterize break shit activist women's voices as shrill and all that stuff because that's not what I believe. It's just what it is. I want to go out on this just because it's been rattling around in my head a bit. Uh, someone brought it up on a podcast uh, a couple months back and I realized I haven't spent a lot of time on this particular topic, which is body positivity. I think a lot of uh, the discourse around body positivity and different types of bodies is, is focused on women uh, and as a guy who has had many different shapes and sizes over the course of his life um, and was never raised with a sense of being comfortable with my body, to be at a, a nudist resort or a clothing optional resort is still very intimidating to me. Um, I, I'm curious if anyone has had any thoughts regarding their own body and being in a place where your body is more or less on display and maybe feeling intimidated or empowered or any particular feelings that anyone might have. Letting your gut hang out. The first thing that I think of when I, I hear letting my gut hang out is like lazy, right? Like, okay, I haven't done what I need to to dress in a way where my gut's not the first thing that people see about me or I don't have the right posture so I'm not like showing my gut or even like if I'm, I'm sitting down comfortably like and lean back a little bit oh now my gut's presenting itself and and that kind of stuff is out of all the things that I've worked on like that kind of stuff still comes up for me and yeah there's there's a lot of effort focused on body positivity and, and combating anti-fatness and diet culture and all of that stuff. And there's, there's this whole spectrum of stuff that's out there for it. But like, yeah, I don't get a lot of acknowledgement that I can dress the way that's comfortable and not be perceived as lazy out in the default world. So being here and being able to just be chill. I mean, my preferred state of dress, other than being nude, is shorts and an open shirt. I just like it, and I, I feel good, and I don't feel lazy, I don't feel like I'm, other than you know not spending the energy buttoning a button or two, but I, I, I've just felt great out here doing it, because I haven't been, all it takes is a look, and I haven't gotten that look. And it's real nice to be in a place where it's as simple as not getting that look. And I've been doing a lot of thinking on this because I did have uh, a very long and very tough discussion. And, and I'll tell you, like having discussions about body positivity and diet culture and anti-fatness 
is a real quick way to feeling real shitty about yourself. So to get into those discussions, whew, it is not fun. And, and like wrapping a discussion like that up before I got here, first of all, God, thank you. Cause like I, I would have had a harder time just being naked out here. Right. But like, it's also made me think about how, how to think about body positivity as mass folks and, and not just, uh, not just as men, but like uh, trans men that are finding out what masculinity is and trans men finding out how to rock top surgery scars and, and, and all that stuff. It's something that I, there's, we got a lot in common. And I think there's a lot more thought to be had about that because I don't have an answer to that. That's just what's been rattling in my mind the last few weeks. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> Speaking about body positivity, you don't see a lot of Asian males at a nudist resort. Here I am. Hello. Why is that? There are some stereotypes that are not helpful for Asian male body image. Ken Jeong in The Hangover running around with his penis hanging out. It's hilarious. I often thought if someone said, I'll make you a movie star, but this is what you got to do. Would I take that devil's bargain? I don't think I would. All the people you don't see here, Asian males are not in this space. How much does that aspect of our society contribute to their absence? I'm here because I challenge myself. And this space makes me feel okay. But it's still incomplete. Even within this space, we'll unconsciously make a passing reference to penis size as being equivalent to masculinity. Right? In jokes and just, just sort of ingrained into our minds. That's just how it is. I understand it but we're more careful about many of the other things here to be inclusive. Body inclusivity for fatness, for gender, and all sorts of other dimensions, but we don't take quite as much care to dissociate the equivalence of penis size to masculinity. And I actually don't mind because I'm the only one here, so I don't want to push back on that and make space and make other people feel that they're constrained in the jokes that they want to make or just the normal aspect of the feelings that they have. So why do I come here? Because <laughs> it's so great and I... We'll moon you all at the pool. <laughs> we moon you be not because it is easy, but it is because it is hard. Yeah, for me personally, it's been uh, an interesting experience. I just had, you know, experienced a pretty severe weight loss. Well, not severe, but I've lost like 20 pounds in the last uh, six months. I'm also very 
aware of there being racial stereotypes that do not benefit me at all as a black guy with an average or below average dick. So I often feel like I'm on display. And to, again, your credit, Dylan, as an organizer and for uh, putting this group together, I immediately, or not immediately, but I very quickly felt like it's no big deal. I mean, no pun intended, but also, I mean, look, I, and I say this with no ego at all, the fact that there are people here who find me attractive and that's not part of the attractiveness. I think maybe being socialized for a time in the uh, gay scene of New York City has made me a bit more sensitive about that than uh, had I not been. Um, but you've put together a group of people that can, uh, and again, maybe I'm uh, being Pollyanna-ish here, sees past all of that stuff. And it's about, you know, are you a cool person? If you're a cool person and I find you attractive that way, then, you know, nothing else really matters. Uh, and I think that's a, a very good way to be. And uh, again, other behavior that, you know, we should probably model uh, towards others and insist upon, I think, to others in our, in our lives uh, once we get out of here. So uh, to wrap up, well, first I want to thank those of you who have uh, sat through this for sitting through it. Uh, I want to thank everyone who has spoken up. And Dylan, what do you see, what, what is the next step in the evolution of Swing Set Takes Desire? What do you see as the next, the, the 10.0 or, 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 you know, whatever the next year or a couple of years bring? Who? I know you've thought about it. I have, and so some of the obvious things, like I know that the resort is building more rooms, and so there are just going to be more rooms to take over, and while maybe that used to feel intimidating, like it'll just open up more spots, uh, and it'll be real nice to see more people here. Uh, and sure, there are more challenges to making sure that the environment stays welcoming and open, and that everybody coming in is prepared for, at minimum, being welcoming and open, because that... that People that fall off for any reason because something about this environment bothers them, that's cool. Like, self-select yourselves out. I, I, I totally get that. Uh, but at the same time, I do want to put... I, I, you know what, here, okay. I, I'd say in addition to learning to continue this and to continue to get, keep feedback in mind because, like, the, the comment about, you know, uh, racial stereotypes about Asian men, black men, like that, I, I don't... It's not that I haven't thought about it, but, like, uh, there's a lot of intention that goes into putting this together. And I don't think I've ever intentionally thought about dick jokes and, and that and how that makes people with different sized cocks feel or people that are growers or whatever, right? Like they're, they're just, it's something I hadn't really thought about. So it's something that I'll think about and maybe there'll be some intention in some of the planning or some of the culture, whatever comes next year. So I appreciate that. But one of the things I do want to do is I want to, I want to build more get togethers that are I, I am from the United States, we are from the U.S., that are, that are stateside or, or Canada side that are more accessible to more people because this is also a resort in which you have to pay several thousand dollars to be here. And if there's the biggest barrier to this being accessible to you know different groups of people, it's going to be, it cost is that one. And that's, out of all the things that I've been able to change at the resort here, that's the one thing I can't. 
Like there's just no lever for me doing that. Like I, I don't have a, a scholarship program to come. Like can, can you imagine? You know, out of, out of all the things that there are grants and, and scholarships for, like having people come to a, a at minimum close optional resort without selling it as a sex resort or anything like that's. I, I think that money could be better targeted. Yes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but like. But putting together stateside and, and Canada side events, regional events, having local people kind of put those together and make sure, and then we're more overseeing the whole thing to make sure that it is a good event uh, and a welcoming event. And then sure, throwing a good party. That I, I'd say that's like the next evolution of this. Sure, swing set takes desire, and then whatever the regional things may be to kind of spread a little bit of this, or a lot of bit of this everywhere where we can go and where it's, you know, hundreds of dollars for, you know, a weekend as opposed to thousands of dollars for a week, so. Well, Dylan, I want to thank you for uh, being so welcoming and, and so uh, open. I want to thank uh, all of y'all for being so open and for being cool-ass people. And, you know, between you and I, I mean, we've, uh, I, I started on Life on the Swing set, I guess maybe four or five years ago at this point, and, you know, fell off the map for a bit and came back, and you've always been super welcoming and super understanding, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate you giving me the time to uh, do this. You know, I feel like I, I wouldn't have started this if not for my experience uh, co-hosting the Life on the Swing set podcast. Um, because you all have put so much thought into my brain about uh, how I walk in the world. So you and Coop and, and Jin and Prof and, and the whole team, you all do good work. So just be aware of that. Well, thank you. Yeah. You're very welcome. And I, you share a lot with me too, and, and that really, really helps me. Uh, and yeah, so thank you. And yeah, I guess that'll do it. I hope y'all have a good rest of your, your trip. And uh, I look forward to talking to all of you later on in the resort. And uh, I know already a couple of you outside the resort. And I hope that all the rest of you end up being a part of my life outside this resort as well. So thanks, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your day. I am losing my voice. Maybe the contents of this episode leave you with questions. Maybe this episode makes you a little uncomfortable. In the spirit of the gentleman who participated in this discussion, I invite you not to just leave this podcast and go on with your day or your night or whatever, but think a bit about yourself, your conditioning, your relationship structure, your sexuality, and consider what can be gained from pushing yourself, from living your truest life, what can be gained from conquering fear or at least attempting to. That's not only what this episode is about, it's what this entire damn podcast is about. Slaying demons, conquering fear, getting over the hurdles that have been put in your way, sometimes put in your way by yourself. What do they say? No struggle, no progress. I salute all of the folks that participated in this conversation. Chris, Dylan, Gord, Justin, and Ming for being honest with themselves and others. I also want to thank the folks at the Desire Resort for letting us record there. I want to thank the audience of multiple genders that watched this recording, and I want to thank Dylan again for co-hosting. If you want to know more about Life on the Swing Set, please follow their podcast wherever you enjoy podcasts just like this one. If you want to follow Dylan on social media, he is on IG and Twitter as Dylan the Thomas. And if you think you and your partner or partners might want to head over to Mexico next year for the 10th anniversary of the Swing Set Takeover, 
Swing Set Takeover 2022 is already 69% occupied. Head over to SwingSetDesire.com and put down a deposit for that baby right now. All right. Hey, y'all. It's me again. Just reminding you to please smash that subscribe button if you want to keep listening to this show. Leave a comment, rate us, whatever you can to push us up in the rankings. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, if you love the podcast, if you would like to be on the podcast, if you know somebody who is interested in being on the podcast or who would be a good fit to talk about masculinity, please feel free to reach out to me via my social media channels. I am on Instagram as DetoxPodGuy, and I am on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph. You can even drop me an email, old school style, DetoxPod at gmail.com. By the way, not hating on anybody who still sends emails. I am old school proudly, and I send emails all the time. Uh, Detoxicity is produced and hosted by myself, Mike Joseph. Uh, The music for this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Calvin Williams. The logo for this show was designed by uh, Jacob Block. And I want to give a special shout out to Andrew Grossman and Jeff Giles for the inspiration to create this podcast. Uh, I thank you all for listening and hope that you're all keeping yourselves and each other safe out there. Take care. Peace.